Satan's strategy has always been to remove men. Dr. Tony Evans talks about the importance of fathers, faith, and family. If he can remove them from their strategic place, then he knows he's got a hands up in cultural disintegration. This is The Alternative with Dr. Tony Evans, author, speaker, senior pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas, and president of The Urban Alternative. Notwithstanding the work God does behind the scenes, the Christian faith is always just one generation away from extinction. Well, today, Dr. Evans lays out some practical ways fathers can build a spiritual legacy that's worth passing on to our sons and daughters. Let's join him as he gets started. Some 40% of children in America grow up without a dad in the home. If you're an African-American, that jumps up to 63%. And if you live in the innermost sanctums of the inner city, in some places it can climb as high as 70. Satan's strategy has always been to remove men. If he can remove them from their strategic place, then he knows he's got a hands up in cultural disintegration. There are three things I want to share with you from Genesis 18, verse 19, that is at the heart of my message today, centered to fathers, but hopefully valuable to all. For I have chosen him, Abraham, God says, in order that he might command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken to him. There are three things in this verse that I want you to catch for fathers, whether you're a father or not. Perhaps you're not a father yet. One day you will be. These are the three things that I want you to take home with you. Number one, the purpose of fatherhood. He says, I have chosen him. Let me say that again. I have chosen him. Fatherhood is a calling, not just a job. Fatherhood is a calling because he says, I have chosen Abraham to command his children. It is a divinely established calling. It's not just something you pick up and do one day. It has been authored by God to achieve divine purposes. This calling is called in the scripture and in this context, a covenant. A covenant is more than a contract. Too many fathers look at fatherhood as contractual by nature. I have a legal responsibility. What's the court going to make me pay? Who's the court going to give time to? How much time allotment will they let me spend? How do me and my ex-wife share them? As though this was some sort of contractual arrangement. No, fatherhood is a covenantal responsibility. He says, I have chosen you. Fatherhood is a calling. It is a divinely ordained mandate. God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Why? In order to fill the earth. The goal was not simply to have lookalikes. The goal was to replicate the image of God in history so that the father would put such a stamp of God on his children that when his children left home, a God became expanded in the civilization. 
So the question then is, if fatherhood is a covenant, what is the problem? All covenants had to be passed on. Our contemporary word for that is legacy. The athletic word for that is passing the baton. And folks, I don't care how fast you run. If you don't pass the baton, you lose the race. I don't care how fast you reach the top of your career. If you don't pass the baton, you lose the race. I don't care how fast you accumulate your first million. If you don't pass the baton, you lose the race. I don't care how fast you're able to move from an apartment to an exclusive gated community. If you don't pass the baton, you lose the race. In a covenant, the baton is passed. There is another option. Let me take the other side. If it's not a covenant, it's a curse. There is no twilight zone here. You either pass on a curse or you pass on a covenant. God says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 and 6, to the father who rebels against me, he passes the curse down to the third and fourth generation. You don't just pass on your personality to your kids. You don't just pass on your race to your kids. You don't pass on just your looks to your kids. If you are an alcoholic, you pass alcoholism off to your kids. If you are a drug addict, you pass that on to their kids. And unless they break the curse through their own relationship with Jesus Christ, you pass on the covenant or curse if you abandon the covenant. The issue that we face today is a crisis of fatherlessness. And while we have many exceptions, many exceptions in this room of godly fathers, many exceptions in this city and in this culture, they are exceptions today. They're not the rule. When Adam and Eve failed the covenant and passed on the curse, Cain killed Abel. By the time you get to Genesis 6, the whole world is no good anymore. So God is concerned about his covenant, and the good thing about a covenant is that a covenant is always a link to a blessing. Always. Look at verse 17 and 18 of chapter 18 of Genesis. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Covenants link blessing. It means that God's good hand goes with the covenant. It means that when you think covenantally about your responsibility and not simply contractually. Secondly, the practice of fatherhood. The purpose is to establish this long-range covenantal view. The practice. Notice what verse 19 says. He said, I want you to command your children and your household to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. You are to give a mandate, command. Lift a standard, and then you are to be a model. It says that they shall follow after him. Mandate, model. Teach it, do it. Let them hear it, let them see it. He says you are to practice within the context of your home this divine calling that you've been given as a dad. Fathers, The government was not created to raise your kids. The church was not created to raise your kids. That's why God made mommies and daddies so that parents would raise their own children. It is the responsibility of dad to lead the way 
in the raising of the kids. It's daddy's responsibility to set the pace. That's the job of father. In the Bible, by the way, men, women are not told to raise children. Men are. Women are told to help men in the raising of children. God never meant for the burden of child rearing to be on the woman. It was to be on the man, but because the man couldn't go out and be the provider and do all the details of child rearing, she was to come alongside, be his helpmate, to relieve some of the things freeing him up to be a quality provider as well as a leader in the home. Paul says in Ephesians 6, fathers train your children. Look at how serious Abraham got about this covenant in chapter 17. It says in verse 22, and when he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham and Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all the servants who were born in his house and all who were brought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in that very day as God had said to him. And Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day, Abraham circumcised and Ishmael his son and all the men of his household who were born in his house brought with money with a foreigner were circumcised with him. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant. Baptism is the sign of the church's covenant. In other words there was a visible manifestation of this family's commitment to God. If you lived in Abraham's home you went by Abraham's rules. If you smoke you you can't smoke in my house because I don't allow smoking in my house. If you big on Jack Daniels Jack got to stay outside while you come inside because you don't drink in my house. If you cuss like a sailor, you got to wash your mouth out with Listerine before you come in my house because we don't allow profanity in my house. And you say, how come I have all those rules? Simple, my house. My house. And in my house, you must adjust. It says every man in Abraham's house had to be circumcised, had to be known that if you live in this house, you're part of this covenant. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a simple principle behind it. This house is a Christian home. It runs by God's rules. So we must adjust to him. Dr. Evans will continue our message on fathers, faith, and family in just a moment. First, though, I want to tell you about a fantastic set of resources we put together to follow up on what we're learning today. It's a power-packed audio collection that includes some of Tony's most requested messages on the role and responsibility of men in their homes and in society. Along with this four-part Biblical Manhood collection on CD or MP3, we're bundling a paperback copy of Kingdom Man. In it, Dr. Evans pulls no punches as he addresses the cultural consequences of male passivity, shattering stereotypes to help men today fulfill their purpose in God's kingdom. The Best of Tony Evans on Biblical Manhood series and the Kingdom Man book are yours with our thanks when you make a contribution to help support the work of Dr. Evans on this station and others like it around the world. Just make your request for this package at TonyEvans.org. Or let one of our team members help you when you call 1-800-800-3222. That's 1-800-800-3222. I'll repeat that contact information for you and tell you about a completely free giveaway offer after the second part of today's lesson. Here's Dr. Evans. So the practice of fatherhood is mandate and modeling so as to give God's standard of what he calls righteousness, that which is right versus that which is wrong, and justice. It's interesting that he ties justice in the fathers raising kids rather than government setting laws. 
That leads to a final point, the problems of fatherhood. Because I know in this audience there are problems. There are problems. There are people who have children that they've never seen and perhaps don't even know about. Perhaps there are people here who, uh, whose children are already teenagers and have already rebelled and it's too late. You can't go back to the crib. And there are people here who have divorced and remarried and another person married the person you were married to. So there's another man raising the kids that you brought into this world and it's messy back there. And you raise the question, what do I do, preacher? Because I'm a father, but things are not not like they ought to have been. I've missed the date. What do I do? Well, good news. Good news. You see, Abraham didn't have it all together either. First of all, he had a problem with his wife. Okay, Sarah wasn't, wasn't all that all the time. In fact, it was Sarah in chapter 16 who told him to go in and have a relationship with the maid, Hagar. When God told her she was going to have a baby, he laughed. She laughed. He had a problem with himself because now he had another baby by another woman. That's a problem. Because even though his wife told him to do it, she wasn't happy when he did it. And she told Hagar, get you and that baby that I don't know anything about out of his house. So now he got two families. He's got a family over here because of his sin. He's got a wife that he's living with and he's going to have a baby with her named Isaac. So he's got a family mess. Oh, but that's where grace steps in. Grace can take you where you are and turn a mess into a miracle. And because Abraham got right with God, God told him in Genesis 17, because you're not right with me, I'll bless your son Ishmael, who was born by the slave girl. He had a third problem. He had a problem with the culture. Look at verse 20. And the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah? It was where there was oppression, Ezekiel chapter 16. There was oppression in the civilization. It was a wicked environment. And yes, even in a secular society, Abraham was still supposed to raise his kids according to the code. Don't tell me things are too bad to bring kids into this world. That's exactly why you need to bring righteous kids into an unrighteous world to set a whole new direction led by righteous people. Lot, who was with Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah, lost sight of his calling. Oh, he is a Christian. He was just so much in the personal peace and affluency, he forgot the covenant. The coxswain is the man you see on the rowboats with the bullhorn in front of him saying, row, 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 row. Why is somebody sitting up top, don't look like he's doing any of the work, so significant? Because he understands something, and so does everybody else, that they are rowing to his cadence. As he says, row, they have to have the oars in a specific spot ready to pull. Row, uh, row, uh, row, uh, because they know that if they stop hearing his voice row, they will not row together anymore. And if they don't row together anymore, instead of the boat going straight, it's going to go to the side. And if it goes to the side, they're going to lose seconds. And if they lose seconds, they won't win the race. So there is the 
coxway sitting up in the boat setting the pace so that everybody's pulling in the same direction so that everybody crosses the finish line in victory. Daddy, you're the coxway. Keep the cadence call. Why does the conductor, the highest paid person in the orchestra, and he's not playing instrument the first? He's just waving his wand around all day. He's making $100,000 while they're making twenty-five and dollars and $35,000. Why is he so insignificant? Because he keeps the harmony. So yeah, there are problems. There are problems. There are problems that, that with your wife. There may be problems with yourself and your past. There may be problems in your society. All you've just told me is you need God. You can't do it by yourself. It's bigger than you. On my son's 17th birthday, both of them, when each one was 17, I took them out to dinner. I gave them their birthday gift. They both had the same 17-year-old birthday gift. We were beyond... uh, you know, bicycles and tennis shoes and clothes, they have their place. But I knew at 17 that I would only be with them one more year. And so I wanted to try to give them something that would last. And so I bought a gold key. And I put it on a gold chain. And around dinner on their 17th birthday, they have this, I gave them this chain around their neck with this key that dangles. And I said, young men, these keys mean, this key means three things. One, as you begin to move out of the house and independently of dad and mom, this key is to remind you, you have my heart. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, your daddy's heart is with you. You have the key to my heart. Secondly, There will be situations you're in where I will be of no help to you. This key is to remind you that you have God's heart. That you have the heart of God with you wherever you go. Thirdly, this key is to be kept with you and only permanently removed on your wedding night. When you take that key off and put it around the neck of your bride, and tell her she has your heart. Now why? I did that for the purpose of legacy. I did that so if I have a heart attack and go home, they will have something to remember what I tried to transfer. A visible symbol of love, of commitment, and of transfer. Not because I have been a perfect father, I have not. I have my frailties. I am not perfect. I am a flesh and blood like you. But the good thing I like about Abraham is, look, according to chapter 17, verse 1, it's 99 years old. So if you, if you aren't 99 years old yet, you have hope. <laughs> so start where you can. It may only be a letter that you can write. To say, hey, I, you know, I grew up all these years. I never told you that I loved you, but I want to sit down and write this letter to let you know I do love you. I am so sorry for not giving you the love that you needed. Whatever we can do now to make up as much as can be made up, I am available. That may be as much as you can do, but guess what? That's probably what they're waiting for. 
You remember the name Derek Redmond, don't you? Derek Redmond ran for the British 4 by 400 relay. When he got the baton and turned the corner, he pulled his Achilles tendon and collapsed to the track. So now, instead of being first, they were last. The pictures showed him crying as he lay there on the track, defeated, broken, and having let down the rest of the team. You could hear a pin drop as everybody looked on from the stands at Derek Redmond crawling, trying to go forward because he couldn't get up and walk. The pain was too great. Out of nowhere, a man from the stands, an older gentleman, came down and he grabbed Derek Redmond as he did one of the security men and said, you can't do that. He said, be quiet, this is my boy. He picked up Derek Redmond, put his arm around the shoulder, put his arm around uh, Derek Redmond's waist, and drug his son across the finish line. And when he got across the finish line, everybody stood up with a standing ovation, a greater ovation than the person who had been the team that had won the race. Why? Because even though he was down, even though it looked like he failed, He was willing to let the father lift him up. Let the father carry him when he couldn't carry himself. Some people can make it and it look like they make it with ease and without God. But I want to let you know there's a father up high in the stands. And he'll come down, meet you, even if you're laid out on life's track. And he'll still pull you across the finish line if you let daddy grab hold of you. Dr. Evans will come back with a final thought to wrap up today's message in just a moment. First, as I mentioned earlier, today's message, Fathers, Faith, and Family, is available in its entirety on CD or digital download, including portions we didn't have time to include in the broadcast. You can get it as a part of that special double offer I mentioned earlier. All four full-length messages in the best of Tony Evans on biblical manhood, along with his powerful paperback, Kingdom Man. We'll send them to you as our thank you gift when you help support this ministry with a financial contribution. You can get all the details and make your request online at TonyEvans.org or by phone at 1-800-800-3222. And for those who contact us right away, we have an absolutely free gift, our Hope for the Hurting Leader Kit, perfect for both leading a small group study and for your own personal spiritual growth. In this Bible study, Dr. Evans offers spiritual principles for facing life's pains and hurts. Love and happiness are possible if we learn how to walk through the hurt with peace and joy. The Leader Kit not only includes a copy of the Hope for the Hurting book, but also a study guide, printed content for six study sessions, teaching videos, session previews from Dr. Evans, and more. And as I said, it's yours absolutely free, part of a flash giveaway. We only have a limited supply on hand, and when they're gone, they're gone. So give us a call at 1-800-800-3222 or visit us today at TonyEvans.org to get yours before we run out. Now, who decides what it means to be a real man? Too often, we leave that job to the people who write action movies or TV shows. 
Well, be sure to join us next time as Dr. Evans explores the biblical model of manhood. Right now, though, he's back with this final comment. Now, we have a decision to make. Are we going to so love our own personal fulfillment that we will miss the covenant? Or will we, while still seeking to be as fulfilled as humanly possible, make the covenant a priority? Son, daughter, as long as I'm alive, you'll know no other father but me. That is the question. Or will we follow the crowd so that our children grow up maybe remembering your name only? The Alternative with Dr. Tony Evans is brought to you by The Urban Alternative and is made possible by the generous contributions of listeners like you. 